Hello, everybody. This is Joseph P. Farrell with News and Views from the Nefarium on February 20th, 2020. Uh, that's the second month, 20th day of the 20th year of the second millennium, or as we like to say here at the Nefarium, the 21st century. Anyway, we've got lots to talk about today. But before I get to that, I want to remind everybody there is a vid chat tomorrow at uh, 6.30 U.S. Central Time. I will be there early, as usual, for our pre-chat informal talk and discussion. I've already got a very interesting question from one of our Australian uh, readers. So get your questions in. We're going to be having vid chat tomorrow. Now, today, I want to talk about something that people outside the United States have been asking me about um, commenting, you know, what's the mood there? Well, quite frankly, the mood is not good in spite of all the hype you hear from the media uh, and so on and so forth, or whatever your political leanings may be. So I want to um, talk about a trend that is growing in the United States, particularly for those of you overseas to be aware of. Um, the context here is you may have seen the stories recently about the governor of Virginia trying to ram a gun confiscation bill through the Virginia state legislature. They're not calling it that, but that is the way it was perceived in the vast amount of counties in the state, or pardon me, the Commonwealth of Virginia outside of the Richmond, D.C. corridor, all right? And you may recall that California has a similar phenomenon going on in Virginia, a move actually to secede from the state and create another state. Well, this is spreading, folks, and it's spreading in conjunction with other things going on in uh, the United States. And these trends are not, in my opinion, going to abate. So I want to talk about yet another succession secession story. This one from Oregon. I've got two articles. One is from USA Today. So in other words, this is making the major media in this country. Uh, this is a story by Kristen Lamb, and the story's titled Secession in the Pacific Northwest. Some Oregon residents petition to join Idaho. And I want you to listen very carefully to some of the statements in this article because it's they kind of sum up the mood in various places around the United States today. So here we go. Quote, frustrated by liberal policies, some Oregon residents petitioned to leave the state by moving the border with the state of Idaho westward. And I'm quoting right now from one of the leaders of this movement by the name of Mike McCarter. He says, quote, rural counties have become increasingly outraged by laws coming out of the Oregon legislature that threaten our livelihoods, our industries, our wallet, our gun rights, and our values, unquote. We tr and quoting again, we tried voting those legislators out. Listen carefully to this. But rural Oregon is outnumbered and our voices are now ignored. This is our last resort, unquote. And they've 
they've gone so far as to um, also try to join forces with those people in Northern California that are similarly fed up with the policies coming out of uh, Sacramento. There's even a, a map, I don't know if you folks can see that, of the state of Idaho here, and then these counties in Oregon here, and then Northern California down here that would like to expand the state of Idaho. Now, continuing with this story, with this article, quote, I want you to listen to this also very carefully. Democrats control the governor's office and state legislature. Last year, Senate Republicans left the Capitol to protest a bill on greenhouse gas emissions. Now, if you don't know the background of that story, particularly of those of you overseas, what actually happened was that even though the Democrats have a majority in both houses of the Oregon state legislature, uh, the governor was trying to force the Republicans to the floor of the Senate to gain a quorum to pass a bill that basically was kind of a, an Oregon version of the Kyoto Emissions Treaty. And this is why the farmers were upset, because that would have gutted their ability to maintain their farms and so on and so forth. So what happened was the Republican legislators left the state because she was threatening to physically compel, and that literally meant that she was willing to call out the state troopers and force the Republicans into the legislature at gunpoint to gain a quorum so she could pass this law with her Democratic majority. Well, they physically left the state in order to avoid uh, giving her a quorum. And one of those legislators, an Oregon state senator, actually tweeted, you'd better send people that are single and heavily armed. That's how bad it was getting in the state of Oregon. So let me continue. Of Oregon's 36 counties, only 14 in the Willamette Valley area would remain if the group had its way. Moving the border would require approval from the U.S. Congress as well as the Idaho and Oregon state legislatures. And it's important to remember that when Virginia was doing the protests, the counties in Virginia were doing the protests, which for the moment have stalled uh, Governor Northam and his group in Richmond. The governor of West Virginia told the Virginia counties that were opposed to Northam's measures that they could go ahead and secede from the state and join West Virginia. Now, if you don't know American history, the state of Virginia, when it seceded from the Union at the beginning of the Civil War, basically comprised what is now Virginia and what is now West Virginia. All right. So in other words, both of those states at that time were Virginia. West Virginia actually seceded from Virginia during the American War between the states and was recognized and received as a state by uh, the Union Senate. So that's how West Virginia came into being. So in other words, had that happened, if it had worked out that way, basically Virginia would have reconstituted itself in its original form leaving out Richmond and the Richmond-D.C. corridor, essentially. That's what was going on. So now there's a second story about this secession, and I'm linking all of this for you, the secession movement now in Oregon that is uh, put out by the Idaho Statesman, uh, a local Idaho newspaper, and this is Idaho's perspective. 
And uh, I want to read a, just a couple of paragraphs here from this article. It says, quote, it's a complicated multi-step process that would require local ballot measures and state and federal approval. The group hopes eventually to consume all but 14 of Oregon's 36 counties, according to a news release on the Move Oregon's border for a Greater Idaho Facebook page. Now, that should tell you right there that in all likelihood, given the fact that the states themselves have to approve it, that Oregon probably is not going to go along with this, all right? But in other words, what I'm trying to get through here is that people are to the point of considering any alternative because they are their voices are simply not being heard by these runaway um, groups in various states. Continuing in the Idaho Statesman article, it says, quote, if the initial movement is successful, the Greater Idaho Project would like to bring parts of Northern California into Idaho, according to the news release, unquote. And again, this is in addition to that movement that we have in California for uh, a secession from of certain counties from that state. Now, I want to turn to a completely different topic with this next article, but again, I'm using this article as a, kind of a symbol of a growing trend in the United States. And this article um, was published just yesterday, and it actually concerns a bill before the state legislature of my home state, South Dakota. And the title of the article is, quote, South Dakota considers first state bill to outlaw all vaccine and medical mandates, unquote. And I'm going to read several uh, parts of this article, again, to show you that there's a growing concern in this country about the overreach of the federal government and particularly the, the kind of mercantilist corporate policies and so on that the federal government is favoring at the cost of individual liberty and freedom. So quoting from this article, who owns your body? A growing number of legislators in South Dakota believe you do. They have introduced a bill not only to end vaccine mandates in the state, but all future medical mandates that may be introduced in generations to come. In other words, this is, I want you to understand that this is a preemptive measure. Okay. 115 years ago this month, the U.S. Supreme Court made a decision that because there was a deadly smallpox epidemic, the city of Cambridge, Massachusetts, was allowed to charge a pastor $5 to opt out of a citywide vaccine mandate. The law didn't apply to children. That precedent has been the basis for the mandate of dozens of now liability-free vaccines for children and adults where no epidemic or even one case exists at the cost of thousands or even hundreds of thousands per year to opt out. It's even the basis on which the Supreme Court ruled that women can be forcefully sterilized for the good of themselves and society, of course. Now, I'm skipping several paragraphs here. 
What new medical interventions and body tech will the Gates Foundation invent and convince or bribe governments and non-government organizations to force people into utilizing? And where will the battle to end coerced medical care begin? I submit to you that it has begun in South Dakota today. South Dakota House Majority Leader Representative Lee Qualm has introduced House Bill 1235, an act to revise provisions regarding immunizations. The bill repeals all vaccine mandates in the state. South Dakota would be the first state to have no vaccine mandates at all, joining other governments like the United Kingdom, Japan, and Canada in uncoerced vaccine decision-making. But the bill goes even further. It ends medical mandates altogether. It adds a new law that reads as follows. Section 5, uh, paragraph 334-22-6.1, and it's under the heading Discrimina Discrimination Immunization. Every person has the inalienable, inalienable right to bodily integrity free from any threat or compulsion that the person accepts any medical intervention, including immunization. No person may be discriminated against for refusal to accept an unwanted medical intervention, including immunization, unquote. Thus, the state of South Dakota would function under the truth that you own your body and codifies into law that you make your own medical decisions and no one can coerce your choices or discriminate against you because of them. Now, I'm skipping again several paragraphs here. Cambridge, meaning the earlier reference to Cambridge, Massachusetts, and the turn of the 20th century courts didn't care that Pastor Jacobson protested the violation of his body and his bank account based on his arguments that vaccines were not safe and that both he and his son had previous vaccine reactions, and they violated his religious conscience. The Supreme Court of the United States didn't care that Carrie Buck was a woman of sound mind who wanted to retain her ability to have children after she was raped and impregnated by a family member. They declared her intellectually disabled and imbecile, even though there was never any evidence that she had any disability. They then forced her to be sterilized. Carrie Buck is the probable potential parent of socially inadequate offspring, likewise afflicted, that she may be sexually sterilized without detriment to her general health and that and that of her welfare and that of society will be promoted by her sterilization. That's the court decision. The state did, of course, have a stated compelling interest, as they always do when they seek to violate the rights of Americans, and this was it, quote, In order to prevent our being swamped with incompetence, it is better for all the world if instead of waiting to execute degenerate offspring for crime, in other words, this was actually a kind of court decision about pre-crime of offspring that this lady hadn't even had, so we're going to go ahead and sterilize her. Or to let them starve for their imbecility. Society can prevent those who are manifestly unfit from continuing their kind. 
The principle that sustains compulsory vaccination is broad enough to cover cutting the fallopian tubes. This is in Jacobson versus Massachusetts, uh, 197 U.S. Uh, 11, uh, subsection 25, and the state court 358, third annex, case number 765. And it goes on to say, three generations of imbeciles are enough. And this article concludes, I urge you to change the conversation in your state. Take the South Dakota bill to your legislators, tell them about Henning Jacobson and Kerry Buck, and ask them who th they think owns your medical choices. So in other words, here's another story of pushback against the monster state and its alliance with mega corporations and with, let's be blunt here, value systems that some people find questionable. So in other words, look at these secession movements in the United States and these types of bills as being a, a signal of a trend that is growing in this country. And where it's going to end up, I don't know. Now, I want to go to one um, final article here, again, seemingly off topic, but again, it's an indicator that there is a growing resentment, uh, you know, regardless if you're pro-Trump or anti-Trump or pro-Hillary or anti-Hillary or whatever, that there's a growing pushback against uh, the, the growth of, of centralization. But this one's a whopper. This is a story that's called Wyoming considering a state gold depository. Now, for those of you overseas, what has already happened is that the state of Texas in 2015 created its own state bullion depository, and it was followed, I believe, shortly thereafter by the state of Utah. Now we've got a third state, namely Wyoming, which is right next door to my home state, South Dakota, Wyoming considering its own state bullion depository. Now, I want you to listen very carefully to the paragraphs I'm going to read from this article. Quote, a bill, and by the way, this article is by Peter Schiff, and it's from a website called Schiff Gold. A bill introduced in the Wyoming House would establish a precious metals bullion depository in the state. It would not only create a safe place to store precious metals, it could also facilitate the everyday use of gold and silver in financial transactions in Wyoming and set the stage to undermine the Federal Reserve's monopoly on money. A coalition of nine Republicans introduced House Bill 198 on February 11th. The legislation would create the Wyoming Bullion Depository. Quote, and this is quoting from the bill. The depository is established to serve as the repository for and to safeguard and administer bullion and specie that may be transferred or otherwise acquired by the state or an agency, political subdivision, or another instrumentality of the state, unquote. Now, if you heard that, closely, if you were listening closely, what they're really doing is they're setting up a bullion depository that is acting like a bank uh, on the Venetian Rialto. In other words, they're transferring bullion from one account to another. It's, it's an actual bank. 
The use of the Wyoming Depository would not be limited to state agencies, individuals, businesses, charities, and banks could also store precious metals in the facility and therefore presumably make use of its ability to transfer bullion on accounts. The existence of an in-state bullion depository could facilitate establishing gold reserves in Wyoming and create an avenue toward financial independence for the state. That's key right there. What you're listening to are the financial are the financial considerations of secession. And remember, if Wyoming goes ahead and does this, it will be the third state in the United States to do so. So in other words, you're watching states set up and prepare for a possible, uh, I don't want to say revolt, but an independence move away from the federal government. You're watching them uh, make that whole colossus in the swamp basically obsolescent. Over the last several years, central banks around the world have been buying gold to limit their dependence on the U.S. dollar. In 2018, central banks purchased just over 650 tons. According to the World Gold Center, this was the highest level of annual net central bank gold purchase since the suspension of the dollar convertibility into gold in 1971, and the second highest annual total on record. Totals in 2019 approach the same level, and the gold buying spree is expected to continue in 2020. And this means that you're going to see these state bullion depositories, if Wyoming passes it, uh, passes it, you're going to see the bullion deposits beginning to rise in those states, as they have already been doing in the state of Texas. Now, let me skip again uh, to a couple more paragraphs in this article. Significantly, the proposed Wyoming depository would feature a process to transfer gold or silver in depositors' accounts to other account holders. So in other words, this is a, uh, a bank that is operating very much like the Venetian banks. It's going to be tr making transfers of accounts on its ledgers. So you're going to be able to transact. It's a clearing system based on bullion. This is exactly what they're setting up. Uh, transferred silver or, or gold in a depositor's account to other account holders, individuals, or businesses by check or electronic means. So in other words, you're going to be able to create demand accounts against your bullion deposit and use checks, okay? This is, folks, I can't tell you, uh, th this has got to have people concerned in the swamp. And I'm going to predict here, folks, we've already seen in, in certain states in the American uh, Union, we've seen certain states already passing state resolutions about specie money. So my prediction is you're going to see these state bullion depositories grow. In other words, I fully expect Wyoming or other states in that part of the country, in, in, in the heartland, so to speak, this idea of bullion depositories is going to grow. Continuing, in practice, private individuals and entities would be able to purchase goods and services using assets in the vault the same way they use cash today. It would essentially set the stage to establish a specie and bullion-based bank introducing currency, and that's really what it is, in competition 
with Federal Reserve notes. Over time, as residents of the state use both Federal Reserve notes and silver and gold coins, the fact that the coins hold their value more than Federal Reserve notes will lead to a reverse Gresham's Law effect, where good money, gold and silver coins, will drive out bad money, Federal Reserve notes. As this happens, a cascade of events can begin to occur, including the flow of real wealth toward the state's treasury and influx of banking business from outside of the state as people in other states carry out their desire to bank with sound money and an eventual outcry against the use of Federal Reserve notes for any transactions. So in other words, folks, what's going on, I believe, is a trend uh, you know, that that you're going to see an increasing trend of local and state pushback against the federal monster, regardless of who's in office. And this trend, I think, is being driven by the fact, and we've seen it in the last few presidential selections, where you have a few blue counties clustered around uh, the cities, which are, are predominantly liberal in their, in their political and cultural or orientation, trying to dictate policy for the rest of the country. And now the pushback is beginning. My prediction is it's only going to grow. And I did this, this news and views for those of you who keep emailing me, you know, why are you guys going crazy? Well, the craziness is at the federal level. This is what I'm trying to get across. And it's in a few states, certainly. But it's not everywhere, and you're beginning to see some pushback. And please remember what those Oregonians said. This is our course of action of last resort. That's how bad things are getting here. So that's my news and views from the day. Uh, for the day, I want to thank everybody. I, I'm sorry I haven't been paying attention here into the chat room. But... Um, I do want to remind everybody we do have that vid chat tomorrow. That'll be at 6.30 U.S. Central Time. I'll be in there a few uh, few hours early, as I usually am, for just our little bit of pre-chat banter. Anyway, I hope you'll look those articles up, folks. And uh, if you find any others like that, not only from this country, but the countries that you, you all are in, uh, please pass them along to me because I think it's not simply an American trend we're watching. We're watching pushback all across the world. Just think, uh, for example, of the recent state elections in the German state of Thuringia that you had the coalition happening that Merkel didn't approve of, didn't approve of and now she's, she's trying to overturn it by just raw, raw authority, basically. So anything, anything you find like this, uh, please share it with me because uh, I think we're watching uh, a trend that's going to spread. Anyway, that's it. Bye-bye for now. I'll see those of you that are members of the site in bid chat tomorrow. I'll see you on the flip side, everybody. Bye-bye and God bless.